Hi, Nexters. I'm Khan Pinar with Next Topic, a podcast where we discuss tomorrow, today. The pandemic makes it incredibly easy to be anxious about what the future holds for us. However, we can rise above the uncertainty by analyzing and understanding the trends that are forming in this new normal. Today, we're going to be learning about what those trends are from Dr. Mara Gian, a sociologist, political economist, and a professor of international management at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. In his talk from Next Topic Future Pandemics, he will be going on a brilliant exploration of trends that will change the way we live, work, and play in this new strange world. You can also read about these trends in more detail in his upcoming book, 2030, How Today's Biggest Trends Will Collide and Reshape the Future of Everything, available August 25th. From the rise of automation to the decline in fertility, here is Dr. Gian's talk. I want to, uh, first of all, emphasize that I am both a sociologist and an economist, uh, so I care about the implications of all of this for business, uh, and uh, I also care about uh, the implications that this is going to have for society. So let me begin by saying that, uh, unfortunately, epidemics, localized outbreaks of disease, are actually very common. They happen very frequently, as I think has already been emphasized by several of the speakers. Uh, so the WHO says that uh, between 2011 and 2017, we had a total of 1,307 epidemic events in the world. Uh, but not all of them, of course, become pandemics, especially global pandemics, affecting tens, if not hundreds of millions of people. And if we take a look at the, the long sweep of history, we see that the last global pandemic was the AIDS epidemic, and that um, uh, started in the 1980s. Prior to that was the influenza pandemic of 1918-1919. And before that, it was the great, uh, the third plague, I'm sorry, the third plague of 1856 or 55. Uh, so every 50 or 60 years, we get into one of these global pandemics. Uh, so why is this particular time the crisis so bad? Well, because we have more people in cities. And as you know, population density correlates uh, very strongly with uh, the uh, uh, spread of a pandemic uh, that uh, uh, has a respiratory uh, background to it. Uh, the second thing is that we have a lot of people moving around the world. We have uh, very high levels of interconnectivity. And of course, that has been driven by this uh, the increase in the global middle class and middle class consumption. I don't think uh, this crisis will necessarily derail the growth of cities, but it will certainly I think prompt a lot of people to rethink why they want to be in cities uh, so much. Uh, we are in an interconnected global economy, so the issue that I mentioned before about um, uh, you know the economic fallout uh, certainly is something that gets exacerbated, gets uh, amplified by uh, the rise of global trade. And then of course, transportation and especially movement of passengers uh, using flights. Uh, you can see here the extreme level of density of the network of flights in the world. This is uh, 3,200 airports in the world. And this creates fertile soil for the spread of the virus. The growth in air traffic, uh, this is measured in terms of uh, uh, passenger revenue kilometers. So it's adjusted for the distance traveled. Just in the last four years prior to this pandemic, a 35% increase in the volume of passenger traffic in the world adjusted for distance. Uh, and then value change. We all know the story of the iPhone assembled in China, but with components made in Japan, in South Korea, in Germany, in uh, dozens of other different countries. The same goes for the manufacturing of aircraft. Boeing may be an American firm, but it actually incorporates into the plane many different kinds of parts and components made in dozens of countries around the world. Even Nutella, which is my favorite chocolate spread, is made with ingredients that come from at least 20 different countries. So 
this has created a situation in which our companies were already exposed to risks such as the ones stemming from this pandemic. If you remember in 2011, the Japanese earthquake and tsunami, it already indicated to companies that the interconnections in the world are such that if there's a problem in one part of the world, in this case in Japan, that could essentially mean that within weeks, factories in other parts of the world would come to a stop because they didn't have parts and components made in Japan. So the idea that I want to convey to you in the short run is that we're getting into so much trouble because the economy has become very tightly coupled. The global system has become more tightly coupled than ever through trade integration, through portfolio and direct investment, uh, this phenomenon of cross-border banking assets, global value chains, and travel. And this essentially means that there are fewer degrees of freedom built into the system. There are no buffers, no backups, no cushions. And thus, a disturbance in one part of the system diffuses very quickly around the world from an economic and a business perspective. Now, of course, when the shock happens simultaneously in different parts of the world, which is what we're seeing now, it started in China, but then it moved very quickly to Europe and to the United States and other regions of the world, then the impact on the overall system, our economic system, the global economy, is very, very large. Now, I also want, uh, uh, before I go into the longer term implications, to dispel one myth about what's going on, which is that um, there is a discussion in the media that dictatorships are in a better position to cope with epidemics or with global pandemics than democracies. And I should say that there's no evidence of that. And in fact, there's some evidence indicating that at least the number of deaths as a percentage of the population, which is what you see on this chart here vertically, tends to be lower for democracies than for other types of countries when it comes to epidemic events. And here you see about 1,500 of these epidemic events that have taken place in the world over the last 60 years or so. So which are the trends that will accelerate? So in my book, I discuss trends such as the decline in fertility. Well, this is going to be accelerated as a result of this crisis. I'll, see, I'll give you some details in the next couple of minutes. Population shifts in the world. Also, this pandemic is affecting primarily East Asia, Europe, and North America. So those areas will also decline demographically as a result of this crisis. I think uh, we're going to see widening generational gaps. The experience of the older part of the population and the millennials, and this is their second crisis for them, is actually diverging in this crisis. So these generational gaps that we were seeing before the crisis are only going to get bigger. Uh, I'll tell you also about gender and about economic, uh, uh, economic inequality and a little bit about technology and what are the trends that are going to get accelerated as a result of this crisis. But first, the decline in fertility. You see, when income declines, when unemployment goes up, when uncertainty is at very high levels, and especially when there's a decline in immigration, then we see that fertility tends to decline. So my forecast for what's going to happen between now and the next uh, five years or 10 years is that the decline in fertility, which was already taking place, will only get accelerated in the world. So that doesn't mean that people will not have the number of children that they intended to have, but they will have them later. They will postpone having those babies because of this recession, hopefully not depression. And so remember that whenever you postpone having the children that you want to have, population growth slows down, fertility comes down, of course, and population aging goes up. So another consequence longer term of this crisis is that population aging is going to proceed at a faster pace. Now, I mentioned earlier population shifts, so here you have more detail. The populations of East Asia and Western Europe in particular, but also North America, are likely to be more affected 
than those in other parts of the world during this crisis. And mentioned the generational gaps, I, I really feel for millennials because this is their second crisis. There was a first crisis, 2008, 2009. In some countries, it actually lasted longer, like in Southern Europe, and it limited their job market opportunities. And now the second crisis is again going to limit their um, options and their opportunities in the marketplace. Now, I want to make a, a series of uh, quick comments about gender. So women, as you know, the rates of infection in this pandemic are very similar by gender, but men, at least so far, tend to die at higher rates than women. And there are more uh, men being hospitalized during this crisis than women. And there are very similar patterns around the world in this respect. This in part has to do with the fact that women are better prepared biologically to fend off a viral infection. But secondly, is that women take fewer risks than men. We see this in financial markets. We see this in the job market. We also see this when it comes to health. Uh, women are more likely to pay attention to the uh, recommendations by the healthcare authorities. And therefore, behaviorally, they're less exposed to the risks of a pandemic such as this. Now, having said that, there's also other implications of what's going on, especially when it comes to containment measures for women. So social distancing, for example, we uh, already have some data indicating that it may be helping reducing sexual harassment and groping, especially in public transportation. Uh, but at the same time, sheltering in place is actually being very bad for women. Number one, they take on more tasks at home. More meals need to be prepared. Children need to be schooled. Women, although they may have jobs that they're performing from home, they are actually taking on more of those tasks than men. And the second one, of course, is something that has been reported in some parts of the world already, which is that domestic violence rates are going up. And that's in part because men and women are spending more time at home. Economic inequality. This was a very difficult trend, very worrisome before the crisis. Unfortunately, this crisis will only accelerate the trend towards economic inequality. Why do I say this? Well, because not everybody, for example, has the ability to work or to start from home. It depends on what type of job you have. In the United States, only 32% of the working population can work from home. Uh, secondly, because uh, not everybody can study from home. Not everybody has a broadband connection. Also, the capacity to cope with unemployment. Uh, people uh, in the uh, lower strata of the population socioeconomically have a, a lower level of savings. Maybe they don't have enough to weather unemployment. Social distancing within the home and in the neighborhood. Well, if you have a bigger home or if you have a garden, you're not going to have as much trouble complying with the uh, requirements about uh, confinement. And the nutrition and the immune system and its response, that is also very highly correlated with income and with wealth. And then finally, of course, especially in a country such as ours in the United States, access to healthcare. So unfortunately, this will be a trend that will increase in the future. And the last minute in my presentation, technology adoption will accelerate. I think saying this comes as no news, but I want to make a couple of points that I think are going to be really important for the long term. So yes, robotics, 3D printing, Internet of Things, mobile telecommunications, the collaborative economy, cryptocurrencies, they're all going to be increasing. And the use is going to accelerate as a result of this crisis, because people now feel more comfortable using many of those technologies. And companies, of course, have also learned how to use them in the midst of this crisis. But first, I want to make a point about automation. If anything, this crisis will increase automation in manufacturing and in the service sector. Why? Well, because companies have realized that they need to send their workers home if they uh, we get into a pandemic. However, if they only have machines or robots, then they can continue operating. So we're going to have to deal with even more displacement of workers 
through automation. I am not saying that that's bad in, inherently, but we need to do something about those displaced workers. And this crisis is only going to increase the incentives for companies to automate. And then my last point, how about voting? So here in the United States, we've had to cancel or postpone several primaries. And there are doubts about how exactly we're going to be able to observe social distancing in November and at the same time vote. We need to implement technology. Estonia, the Baltic Republic, has been doing that for a long time. But here, we don't have time now this year. So we're going to have to put in some preliminary systems in place to ensure that we can have elections this year. But in the near future, I think we have to invest heavily in technology so that we can enable citizens to interact with the government and also to vote. So thank you so much for your attention. I've been trying to essentially convey to you two very basic ideas. First is that this crisis hits us so hard because the global system and the global economy are more tightly coupled than in the past, and that reduces our degrees of freedom when coping with a major disturbance such as this. And secondly, that there are very distinct consequences for the long run. I don't think in the long run we're going to see a reversal of trends. Mostly what we're going to see is that the trends that were already going on are only going to be accelerated by the present crisis.